Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Hi, I'm Sarah Story, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour, a weekly conversation with creative Mississippians from across the state. We talk to artists, musicians, authors, and people who support, support the arts in their community. Today, I'm talking to Kiese Lehman, award-winning author and Mississippi native that has released the book Long Division this summer. He is uh, won many, many awards and accolades, including the 2019 Andrew Carnegie Medal for Excellence in Nonfiction and the 2020 to 2021 Radcliffe Fellowship at Harvard. And he will be showing up at the Mississippi Book Festival, August 21st in Jackson, Mississippi. Welcome to the Art Sour, Kiese. <laughs> hey, Sarah, thank you for having me and thank you for coming back to Mississippi. Thanks for being here. Um, I read Long Division and I am obsessed and I have one million questions. So everyone should just uh, okay. <laughs> plan to stay on here for a couple of hours if I had my way. It was, <laughs> it was awesome. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about um, just an overview. I, I can't wait to get into the book, but I wanted to start in the beginning for listeners that may not be as familiar with you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, I was born um, right behind Jackson State University um, in the mid-70s. My mama was a sophomore. My, my dad was a junior and they had me and you know my father was going off to graduate school uh the following year so my mama even though she had me she took me to classes she zipped through two years of uh study in one and then they got degree they got uh scholarships or whatever to go to university of wisconsin for grad school and so when they went there i went down there with went up there with them and then i came back also to live with my granny in forest and my mother got a job teaching at Jackson State maybe about four or five years later. And we moved back to Jackson where I was born. And, you know, my mother taught at Jackson State and I went to school there. And, you know, she, if I had my doing, I would have been, you know, well, I tried to be a basketball player. I tried to play football, play football and basketball in, co in high school and play basketball in college. But my mama just always wanted me to, to be some sort of reader and writer professionally. I think she wanted me to go into law with it or maybe traditional journalism, but uh, I was hard-headed and I just kept working on my fiction and my nonfiction and went to Millsaps and went to Jackson State and graduated from Oberlin and then went to Indiana University for grad school and started teaching at Vassar College up in New York right after that when I was like 26, taught there for 15 years, 14 years. And then I moved back to Mississippi because I got the Grisham um, what is it called? The Grisham Writer Residency at University of Mississippi. And I was just going to go there for a year and, and then go somewhere else or go back to Mississippi because I'll go back to Bassett because I got tenure up there. And then when I was down there, I finished um, this book heavy and did a lot of other work. And then they offered me a job. And, you know, my dream was always to come back to Mississippi. So I, I just stayed. And that's sort of <laughs> how well, and I wrote a few other things. And and then you wanted to talk to me, I guess. <laughs> That's the Cliff, cliff Nose version of it. 
That's awesome. So, so you were a Grisham writer in residence. So that's really, that's really great. Um, yeah. What was that like? Was that your first time coming back to Mississippi after? after oh, I mean, you know, I'm, my family's from, it was my first time ever being in that part of Mississippi, okay. you know, growing up in Jackson, like I, you know, I, I came back, came back home. Uh, when I say home, I'm in Jackson. I came back to Jackson and Florida. So I came back home every year, you know, a few times a year. Um, but when I was on book tour for uh, which one of my for 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 Long Division, the first time in How to Slowly, that was the first time I'd ever been to Oxford. I think that was like 2013, 2014, something like that. And um, yeah, it was just new, you know what I mean? And then when they offered me the Grisham writing residence, initially I said no, just because I'd never been up there and you know, I heard all kind of bad stories from people who had gone up there. But when I went up there, you know, the way they had it set up, man, I, I got so much incredible work done that year. And that's another thing I think we don't give Grisham enough props for is like how he actually invests in Mississippi writing and writers. Right. Um, I mean, it's it's a big deal. You know what I mean? And so that year it can get you, though, like I, I kind of got fooled. I was like, wow, being up here, you just get to live in this house and do your writing and teaching every now and then. And then when I got the job, I had to move from that house to somewhere else in town. And that changed my my experience with my work a little bit. But yeah, yeah, that, that Grisham Fellowship is is why I came back. And um, I'm very appreciative and thankful for that. That's great to hear. And it's, were you struck by the atmosphere of Oxford? Or did you did you know that there was, <laughs> you know, there is kind of famously a lot of authors there. Were you aware of that? Was that... Were you yeah, you know, I mean, by the time I came, you know, I, I, I'd written those two books and I knew I was sitting on, um, and Heavy I kind of sketched and drafted. And I knew if I could pull Heavy off, I knew Heavy was going to change my career kind of sort of, like put me on another path. So I was aware that there were a lot of writers and of course I was aware of the history of Faulkner and, mm-hmm. um, but it was just new, you know, I grew up in Jackson. Like I, I never, you know, Oxford is very different than Jackson mm-hmm. and very different than Forrest. Um, and so, yeah, like I had never, I mean, I, I, I'd met a number of those writers before, but I'd never lived in any place like Oxford in my, in my whole life. Um, and, and so, you know, when I first got there, actually ESPN gave me this money to write this piece and it was supposed to be like a hit piece because I think they knew that, some stuff was going on with the football program or whatever. And I wrote this piece, but it wasn't a hit piece. Cause I was like, how can I do a hit piece about a place I I'm visiting? Like, I don't know this place. So I wrote this piece, which is kind of just like, let me just tell you what I see. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to necessarily like ground it in judgment. And the only thing that I could judge at that point was the fact that I thought Mississippi was mine, mine, <laughs> And the people who lived in Oxford knew it was theirs too. So, I was, so that meant we had to share Mississippi. That was the first thing. And the other thing I, I realized was like, wow, I had no idea that the football program sort of was the economic engine of that town. I had no clue. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I had right. no clue. I, I mean, I had no clue that, you know, grad students would make their rent for a year by <laughs> renting out their apartments, you know, and faculty, you know what I mean? Faculty too. Faculty would build, you know, like, uh, you know, second houses behind their houses because they could make that money back just by, you know, getting alums. So like, that was just culture shock to me. Yeah. Um, and I just had never been in any place where there were like that many white people, like, mm-hmm. and or really another way to say it is like that few black people. 
Like, you know, even where I lived up in Poughkeepsie in New York, there was just, I mean, that Poughkeepsie was, you know, a lot of black and brown folks. Um, I just never, I just never lived anywhere like that. So it was just a shock in that way, but I did a lot of good work when I was there. Yeah. Are you still teaching there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I teach, I mean, I, I'm a, um, what do they call it? Uh, uh, endowed, I have an endowed professorship there. Um, yeah, like I, I have another job that I'm that I that I that I am supposed to start in January in another institution. Um, and we'll see what happens with that. But I'm 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 contracted through the University of Mississippi until I'm not. So. That's great. So yeah. what do you think about teaching there? I love teaching. I love teaching. Like that's I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I write so I can become a better teacher. You know what I mean? Like I that's what I sort of got into this business if you want to call it for like I I'm one of those kids who was bad I was a bad student by tradition because I just didn't like soon as the shit got excuse me soon as the stuff got boring I would kind of check out or if I realized that we were doing something and I could not imagine in my trajectory how this would be meaningful I would kind of check out or if I did super well my first quarter I'd be like oh I can do that I don't need to do it again um but I just love the majesty and the mystery of the classroom. I love learning from students. I love trying to do things in the classroom I haven't seen done. And I just really, there's something really special about watching a person like develop intellectually, like in a few months. There's something, I just think this, I mean, that's corny, but I'm a corny person. So I just think that's sort of special. Oh, that is. It's, uh, it's such a, it has to be an interesting relationship reading emerging or young yeah authors work is it is it do you find that sometimes it's really raw and sometimes it's really forced or is it is, is it a mix of everything is do you kind of know what to expect or are you That's surprised really great question um I was surprised when I moved back to Mississippi because you know I've been teaching writing since I was like well since I was 23 since I went to grad school and um but I hadn't taught writing in Mississippi until 19, I mean, 2015. And, and, you know, across the board, it didn't matter if I was teaching undergrads, first year students, uh, fourth year students, grad students, there was just something more like, the, I don't know, y'all, like storytelling that we do down South, it's, it's at once like more adventurous, like people are trying more, but even people who haven't read a lot are still, even what they're trying is still sort of more sort of like steeped in like tradition too. So I'm mm. saying, I'm saying something that like, or North, or North, you know, a lot of those kids, you know, had gone to like, quote unquote, the best schools. And so they thought they knew how to write like a traditional story, mm -hmm. but that's boring. Who wants to read it? I don't want to read a traditional story. I have to, I have to, because I'm a teacher. Right. And, you know, the kids down South, man, like they were pushing it. They're pushing, they're pushing tradition. And some of them don't even know they're pushing tradition. Um, but yeah, you know, there's something in the storytelling, something in the way we tell stories down, down here that, that obviously like I'm interested in and, um, my students just inspire me every single day. That's cool. And, and that, did that start with your mom? What was she teaching at Jackson State? <laughs> she taught political science. Nice. She wasn't into, um, she was one of these mothers who was trying to like, you know, I couldn't read the books I wanted to read. I had to read all of the classics. I had to read like these political science books and these philosophy books when I'm like 12 and stuff, you know, I, 
you know, so anyway, it, my, at my house, it was like, at my, at my friend's house, they would like sneak to watch like Cinemax and Showtime at night, you know, so you could, you maybe could find some people like, you know, kissing, or maybe if you look, you know, like, cause you could find, you could find like nudity on those, on those channels. But right. my mama, like our house, I had to sneak and read books, certain books at night. Like there were certain books I couldn't read. They were all on the shelf. But if my, my mama caught me reading them, she'd be like, boy, put that down and read Tale of Two Cities or, you know what I'm saying? Right. Some old Emily Dickinson or something. So that helped me in the long run. But man, at the time, I was so mad. I just wanted to go play. I didn't want to be reading all that mess, man. Right. What, what do you remember a, a book? growing up that really influenced you was there anything that's that stands out yeah I mean Long Division is like a remix of A Tale of Two Cities my mama made me read A Tale of Two Cities so many times and so when I finally got to write I told myself I'm gonna write A Tale of Two Cities for you I'm gonna write my own version of Tale of Two Cities you know incredible beginning best times worst times um Silas Marner was another book my mama really 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 loved uh it influenced me but, you know, the books that I read on my own, um, Their Eyes Are Watching God, that was my mother's favorite book. I read that on my own. That book changed my life. Uh, Fire Next Time definitely changed my life. Um, and actually, uh, Catcher in the Rye, mm. like, really inspired me to want to write back to Holden Caulfield. This is Sarah Story the executive director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sarah Story, Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. Today, we're talking with Kiese Lehman, award-winning author and Mississippi native. We're talking about his book, Long Division, and we are so excited that he will be coming to the book festival in Jackson, Mississippi on August 21st. Thanks again for being here, Kiese. Thank you for having me again. So I wanna talk more about your book, Long Division. As I mentioned before, I am obsessed. And it's just so interesting. There's so many elements of it that are fascinating. I read it. I need to read it again because I tend to read really quickly, but you can't read this book quickly, which I loved. Mm. It made me slow down. You have to really think about the characters, think about where they are. You go back and forth through time. Mm -hmm. So I'm so curious, how did this book come about? (laughs) Um, that's so funny. I hear that question, but when I hear it from people from home, I hear a different question. Um, so, so beside all the literary stuff, like, you know, reading lots of Ellison and Morrison and Richard Wright, I was just sitting on my, on my grandmama's porch in Forest, Mississippi. I was probably like seven, eight, and maybe younger than that. And it was when those tornadoes came and it, it missed our house, but it tore up the woods across the street. 
And then it pulled this one tree up by the root. And so there's this big hole in the ground. And I just remember sitting out there on the porch. And even to this day, I swear I saw these two kids just climb up out the hole. And <laughs> I told my granny, and my granny was like, shh, you know, boy, quit being man. You know what I mean? Like grandma was pretty much was like, that ain't nothing but the devil you see. And I'm like, you can say if you want to, but I, I saw two people crawl up out of that. And then my friend Shirley came over because I told her, and I was like, we just got to sit on the porch, be real quiet. And, and then when I turned my head, she said, I saw him. And at the time I was like, you didn't. And I, was like, Shoot. I was like, describe him. And she described him sort of the way I described him to myself. And that's really how that book was born. Like as a kid, like we started to create these stories about these two characters or people who were climbing out of the ground across the street from my grandmama's house. And when I started to really write, I was like, you know, what happens if you write the story of those two people? And that's really how that book started. I mean, of course, I had to do a lot of reading, like, you know, read a lot of Octavia Butler and a lot of time travel stuff. And, and more importantly, just read a lot of Southern literature. But just in terms of before all of that, I just was on my grandmama's porch and I swear I saw these two little kids climb up out of a hole. That's that's the real question. That's the real answer. That's amazing. Yeah. And the main character who, so, well, first of all, so the structure of the book is fascinating because if you open it up in the beginning, you read half the book and then you flip it over and read the other half. Right. So was that, was there, did you want readers to read it in that way? Could it be read both ways? Yeah, I mean, I, I, oh, yo, what I wanted to do was I just wanted to put the book out. I didn't want my name on the book because the whole book is playing with the idea of authorship and who writes what and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, they were like, well, if you want to get paid, we got to put your name on the book. And I was just <laughs> like, are you sure? They're like, yes, if you want to get paid, you want people to know who wrote this book. So in my perfect world, it was a book it looks sort of like it looks now, but there was no author name on it. And, and, and it's two different books. You know, you, you flip it and it's another book. You flip it back, it's another book. But I also just wanted to read a book where the middles were important, especially as a Mississippi person. I know people see us as like the, you know, the deep, deep South, but I feel like sometimes like we're in the middle of this country in some way, way weird way. And I also feel like the middles of people are what we sort of avoid, you know, and there's a fascination with coast and, and there's a fascination with like East Coast, West Coast, at least not, not, not like not Gulf Coast so much. But I just really wanted to create a book that ended in the middle that could be read back to front, front to back. And that asked a lot of readers, you know, I kind of want to create like an adult kind of workbook, you know what I'm saying? So that space in the middle to me is like I'm trying to encourage readers to understand like y'all are if you did your reading, you're, you're in this hole with us now. Right. Um, and I want people, you know, to, to I haven't been on book tour yet with this book because of the pandemic, but my hope is that people jot notes all throughout the book, but definitely on those pages in the middle. So I wanted it to have like a workbook feel, but I also wanted it to be shaped like a book I'd never seen before. Well, I think that's so true. And that's so interesting that you wanted it to be a workbook feel because it's such a fiction, magical realism, storytelling right. Right. type book so that's really interesting I hadn't yeah. thought about it in that way yeah that, that was the hope you know the thing is like coming from Mississippi it's just like you see it mostly in music like people are really encouraged to be again at once traditional but also innovative I'm sure you see this so much in the arts yeah um and I just wanted to be I wanted to hearken on the traditions that made the book, but also just wanted to flip those traditions. You know what I mean? I wanted to mm -hmm. ask ourselves, what happens if we put, you know, Southern Gothic in, in conversation with, 
the internet you know what i mean right. or um so i just wanted to do put a whole lot of things in 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 conversation and ultimately collaboration that i had not seen before i can see that so like sort of the history of jazz blues yeah like the way arthur jaffa is approaching film yes for example yep perfect that that's, that's, exactly, a new way. that's exactly yeah just making your own way through fiction i like that's really cool yeah that's neat so yeah so sentence sentence structure and language is such a huge part of this book um is that something that you study and think about a lot <laughs> yeah yeah i'm pretty i just, i mean yeah, because before I really wanted to be a literary writer, I just wanted, I was like, one of these kids who wanted to write rhymes. So I did, we just wrote lots of raps in school. And, um, and you know, people always dismiss people who want to be rappers. And I'm always interested in like that dismissal. But at the core of it for us was like, we were just sort of crafting sentences to make our friends happy. You know what I mean? Like, that's really what rap, well, like, we go to the bathroom, I jot down these sentences, I practice them. I spin them, somebody else be beatboxing. And if your sentences were like rhythmic and, and, and like exciting enough, your friends would be like, oh, ooh, oh, you know, all of that. And if they weren't, your friends would be like, oh, shit, man. you know, like, and so like <laughs> that, that, that was my first foray into writing for audience. And that's all about like dynamic sentences. You know what I mean? Like though, right. you know, it, it, we didn't do that much in our English classes, but so yeah, like I was, I'm very, I'm so obsessed with sentences. That part of the book is autobiographical. Like I'm obsessed with like sentences and the sentences that we think are complicated and the sentences we think are like silly. And you know what I mean? Like I, I'm really obsessed with sentences and I just wanted to put that into a book. But I'm also playing with Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. He starts Invisible Man with this battle royale where these two black boys are fighting really you know, for the amusement of like this white public. Um, and I just wanted to put these two characters in a different kind of battle royale using sentences. Yeah. That's awesome. And so it was so cool. You use sentences in a con. So in the book, you use sentences in a contest that is generally set up like a spelling bee, right? Right. But it's a, it's a sentence contest. It's a sentence contest. <laughs> is that... <laughs> So is that something that you constructed? I mean, that doesn't exist, does it? Or or is that I mean, a... well, see, see, oh, I'm so happy to be talking to you. Um, I think sentence contests are like the blood of the nation. You know what I mean? I think I think presidential debates are sentence right. contests. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um I I I think we're obsessed with competition and we use sentences to compete. So I think the sentence actually becomes like you know the work of of competition not just not just in politics but definitely in rap music um but we never overtly just call it a sentence contest and 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 and, and long division started out as a spelling bee like when right. i first wrote it it was a spelling bee um and the kids were a lot younger but then i just thought a lot more about just innovation and i was like but wait what if there was a, a sentence contest and the people who were judging the dynamism of of the contest were like these weird voices you know like those weird voice people who do the spelling bee and they're like no no <laughs> sarah i'm sorry you know like i was like <laughs> what, what if we have that, that kind of voice judging the dynamism of sentences and the thing about those judges 
this is the other reason I got the idea is because sometimes those kids who are doing spelling bees, you know, they have like their mnemonic devices, they like be scratching their head or they're like, you know, they act like they're typing to get the word out and whatnot. Um, but then that judge would always be, they'll be like, um, could I, could I hear it in a sentence? And then that judge would say some out, outlandish sentence, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> the tapestry looked like it, you know what I mean? I'm just like, all right, so what if we just flip that and play with sentences, the whole book? And that's sort of what I wanted to do. Yeah, and I thought that was so smart because, like you said, we do judge sentences so much mm -hmm. that there's not, we don't really learn how to express ourselves in that way. You right. know what I mean? Like it's right. all based on in spelling bee or even in the contest that we do poetry out loud, it's all about recitation and memorizing. Yeah. And then instead of like critically thinking through what you're saying as you're saying it, right? Absolutely. That's not, that's not how the world works. And how it works. And, and, and like all of our dramas are like sentence contests, you know, like for better or worse, I watch a lot of reality TV, uh, a lot of Real Housewives. And people <laughs> talk about, man, what's wrong? I'm like, Bo, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, Nini's sentence, you know, against so-and-so's sentence. And then we get to say, oh, she read her, you know, like, so we're all judging the sentences. We're all like, oh, she got her. She got her. Oh, I know she didn't. But then, and, and we we have fixed that the personality, right? But I'm saying as a writer, I'm like, okay, we can talk about the persona, but I want to talk about the sentence that that persona made, and so I got to write a book about it. <laughs> um. Okay. So, in addition to the fascinating sentence structures throughout the book, you also <laughs> you went into time travel, which is incredible. Yeah. So, was, was that something you have always been interested in? Like what? Well, I mean, I don't know how old you are, but, um, you know, when I was 11 or 12 or so, um, Back to the Future came out. And, um, you know, like everybody I knew, I was, we were obsessed with that. But before that, there was always these time travel type elements in the cartoons we watched or and we, you know, like Gilligan's Island sometimes, you know, weird things would play with time travel in ways. And. And then I started reading a lot of books that were, I started, you know, when I was in grad school, I started reading a lot of, a lot of time travel type books. And I read a ton of Octavia Butler and I was just real. And then, and then I started to go, you know, go to these conventions where time travel people, sci-fi people, and they were just obsessed with it. And so for me, the time travel element in long division is sort of like tongue in cheek. You know what I mean? Like, because <laughs> Like I'm trying to show people that you can time travel through literature, right? Like sentences right. are a way you coast through some sort of futurity or some sort of like yesterday. And, you know, how do we actually use sentences to ground ourselves in what we call now? But to do that, I had to also try to create like, you know, some traditional time travel things. But the problem with it is like there, there are people out there who really get hung up on it. You know what I'm right. saying? They're just like, but wait a minute, but wait a minute, the time space continuum doesn't work this way. And, and, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I you know what what's uh when my, my, when long division first came out 2013 uh I, I lived in new york but i had to do a book tour down on the coast too so i went to the coast went to barnes and noble and you go to these book book book, book things like that you know you're just sitting there hoping people come up and, and want to buy your book and then this dude he was in a wheelchair oh i do you know kind of scraggly beard came up and he looked at me and i looked at him and i was smiling because i'm trying to sell a book and he grabs the book he looks it flips it around and he don't say he don't say a word. And he goes to the front, and I watch him wheel himself out, 
And I was like, wow, I just sold a book to somebody. I've never sold a book to that kind of guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not the kind of guy who generally reads my book. Man, this dude wheeled his, he wheeled himself back into the bars at Noble, waited in line, and he got in front of me and he was like, this ain't about no mathematics. <laughs> talking about long division. And I was like, nah, brother, that's not about, that's not about mathematics. But to me, it was just another example of like, people get real upset when what when when they buy something and they think it's something and it's not. And so, yes, there's a time travel element to it. And I'm trying to play with this idea of these kids like really being obsessed with it. Right. And, but at the end of the day, I'm really trying to ask ourselves the different kinds of ways we travel through time and what that does, not just to ourselves, but our family structures. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, maybe we can talk a little bit more about that, but yeah, so it's time travel-y. But I'm not, I would never say it's a science fiction time travel book. Right. That makes sense. Um, so do you have a favorite character in the book? Obeys is my favorite character. Um, I like all those characters though, for real. And they still live with me. Um, there's gonna be a oh, I'm not I don't know if I'm supposed to say this yet, but you know, there, there, there's gonna be a TV, a TV show, a long division TV show. Um that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Baze is my favorite character. Um, I, I mean, I like City. I like the City characters a lot. But Baze and uh, I like Shalea Crump, too. Uh, but Baze, and, I, and initially I hated Lavander Peeler just like City did. But <laughs> by the end of the book, I was really loving him a lot. This is Sarah Story, the executive director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. You are listening to the podcast version of the Mississippi Arts Hour. To have access to all Arts Hour interviews, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to the show on MPB Think Radio every Sunday afternoon at 5 p.m. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to the Mississippi Arts Hour on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sarah Story, the Executive Director of the Mississippi Arts Commission. Today, we're joined by Kiese Lehman. Thanks for being here, Kiese. Thank you for having me, Sarah. I appreciate this. So we are talking about your book, Long Division. So I'm so curious. So you said that it was it was originally written, it was written and released in 2013. Mm-hmm. And then you had to buy it back. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So that you could rewrite it? What is the story there? <laughs> um, uh, so the short version is I had long division at um, Penguin Putnam, maybe like between 2008, 2011, something like that. And we just kept going back and forth. You know, they bought the book and then they were like, we want you to change the narrator. We want to see what it would look like if the narrators were white, young white girls. And I was a young writer. So I was like, I'll try that. And then they were like, we need you to move it from Mississippi to upstate New York. I had just moved to New York. 
And then I was like, that's weird, but I'll try that too. And then they were like, we need you to take all the racial politics and any reference to Katrina out of the book. And then that's when I was just like, I had a job, you know, I taught at Vassar and I just gave them the money back because I just wasn't going to do that. Um, so I had to go with this independent publisher and it was the same independent publisher that Jasmine, uh, my friend Jasmine uh, Ward went with for her first book, Where the Line Bleeds. I think Jasmine Ward is the greatest novelist in our in the world. And, and I sent my, I sent three books actually to the publisher there because I was like, oh, if you get Where the Line Bleeds and you get Jasmine, maybe you'll get me. And long story short, man, I sent it and then the dude was like, all right, I want to publish them, but we don't have a big budget. And at that point, I just wanted the books out because I was working on new stuff. And so he ended up paying a thousand dollars for how to slowly kill yourself. I don't know if y'all know much about publishing money, but that is nothing. A thousand dollars for how to slowly kill yourself. And then he paid like four, three or four thousand for long division. Those books ended up selling like 50,000 copies, which means that that dude ended up making a lot of money. Um, And he also had the TV rights, the movie rights, the foreign rights. So I signed a terrible deal, but also was like, oh, we're friends, you know, like you, you, you know, I was in a bad place. I just hooked you up with these books. So I went back to him and I was like, man, like I got an idea. I want to, I want to, you know, I want to publish the books the way I always intended them to publish. We published with like two books on the end. And he was like, nah. And I was like, all right, well, you know, give me my books back then if you're not going to publish them the way I want them. And he was like, all right, well, I'll give you your books back, but you got to make me a deal. Should I just jump in? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so the deal, um, the deal he asked me to make was a $300,000 deal. We got that down to 50,000. And when I got, then I got my rights back to both books. And then, you know, I learned a lot in the publishing industry from all of my failures. So we made a, I made a great deal with Scribner to distribute and publish the books. Um, and so How to Solely came out in 2020. And uh, Long Division came out a few months ago. Barnes and Nobles picked it up as a book of the month. Um, a few other incredible things about to happen with it. So, you know, the $50,000 paid off, but I, I think principally, I don't think I should have had to pay $50,000 for my own books, but I did. Yeah. And so that does seem, that's really interesting. I do not understand how the publishing world works, but. <laughs> That's really fascinating. Well, I'm glad that you did purchase it back because this book is incredible. So did you change? So did you change a lot in this book when you? Yeah, I mean, I didn't change. A, I mean, in the first one, uh, the essay book, How to Slowly Kill Yourself, I took out three or four essays. I added like six new ones that I've written. Mm-hmm. And in Long Division, um, yeah, you know, before the chapters were interspersed. So when City was like, I started reading Long Division, you would just see the chapter that he read, right? Like, so mm-hmm. it would be. It was it was interspersed and in the in the font was a lot smaller for the most part. It's just, you know, it, it was a it was a harder book to read, believe it or not. Um, and the covers just weren't at all what I wanted. Um, and some of the language. So like even in this version, you know, there's some of the language, you know, like the B word. Like I don't say that word in my real life, but I had written it out in my literary life. And I just didn't feel right about that. So I took that out. There's some other words I took out because I just ethically didn't feel right about the words being in there. Um, and then structurally, I just moved stuff around. You know, it's, it's, it's mainly a, a major structural revision than it is a language revision. That's really interesting. And yeah. so 
what what made you want to revise and go through that exercise and that's tough right yeah but I just feel like that's what we do as artists or humans that's what we should do as humans but definitely as artists you know like if you have eight years in between a piece of art to really ask yourself you know what the art did you know very um evocatively well or what the art kind of didn't do so well you know I'm lucky that I could go back and change some stuff. You know what I mean? Like everything that I've written eight years ago, I would go back and change if I could, because I've learned so much in the past eight years. But with that book, especially, there were just things I wanted initially that I just couldn't get the publisher to do. Do you know what I mean? Like I wanted it to be a flip book. I wanted it to be an adult flip book. I wanted, like I told you before, I wanted there not to be an author's name. I wanted the covers to be like really sort of evocative. And like, I wanted the covers to actually be the beginning of the book in terms of way the art on the cover is made. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of things I just wanted. So I, I put those in, but then there's a lot of other things, a few other things that I just wasn't so sure about from the initial one that I that I took out. I love taking stuff out <laughs> of, of, of text, of art that already exists. Like, that means I have to overwrite though, you know? So I'm an overwriter, but then I love when I can just be like, let me take out that whole section, you know? Um, yeah, I wonder how they did that back in the day when you didn't have computers. You just had to and white out before you had white out. I don't, you know, you just I don't know how yeah. those people did it, but I love taking sections out of out of text that don't work anymore. Yeah, I guess I mean, would they have to rewrite the whole thing or would I they so. write it and tear out page? That is interesting. <laughs> I think so. I, think so. <laughs> I remember when I was I remember when I was like 18 or 19, and I was in the 20, I was 20 because I had gone to Auburn College. And you know, when you're that young, you think you're writing the next great American novel. And, and, and that's what we were all carrying around these floppy disks. <laughs> and, I, and I lost my floppy disk. And you couldn't have told me. I was like, my life is over. No <laughs> one's going to read my book. And, you know, and it was trash, of course. But then I went back and I rewrote it from memory. And it was it was better. You know what I mean? Like that, that sometimes I think happens a lot with artists too. Like sometimes the necessity of rewriting can make your art a lot better. Yeah. Well, and the concept of revising in art or in life is just something that we all deal with constantly. Absolutely. With the way that history is written inherently, the way that history is interpreted, who writes it, who has the voice at the time or the power to write that story. And then it needs to be revised when we learn something new, right? Absolutely. Is that kind of what you're thinking through too? That's what I'm feeling. And, and yeah. you know, like I, I'm just very distrustful of people and leaders who are, who discourage us from looking backwards. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because as an educator, like revision is the bedrock of education, right? Like you're going to put right. something out there. I'm going to tell you, or the class might tell you that it needs some work. You're going to reflect on that, go back and change it. And if, but if you're convinced that everything you've done is good because you did it, you never can be educated or revised. Do you know what right. I mean? And so like, you know, I've said this before, but that's one of the things beyond all the policy stuff, that's one of the things that was so terrifying about Trump, you know, besides in addition <laughs> to banning Muslims and being talking about grabbing women doing this and trying to end um, play, uh, uh, women's rights to choose, you know, I could go on. Dude is on the mic every day for like four years telling people he never made a mistake. Right. He's not the first president to do that. 
but I just think he did it so vehemently. And I just think you cannot learn or nor should you trust someone who's like, I don't make mistakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because when I'm, when I'm at my worst, when I'm at my worst, when I've been in relationships and I don't want to be held accountable, I'm like, oh, we don't need to worry about the past. Like, like you know, like, uh, right. let, let's, th- let's talk about tomorrow. Like, why are we still sitting in the past? You know what I mean? Like, nah, we are people who I think need to deal extensively and creatively with the mistakes and the wonderful things we've done yesterday. And if we don't do that, we have no chance tomorrow. Like, no chance. Very true. Yeah. So what are you, what are you working on now? Can you share anything about? Yeah, Um, we're working on uh, Issa Rae um, picked up the heavy film, heavy book. And so we're making it into a film. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're working on the heavy film right now. Um, I have. Congrats. uh, Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I have, I have a book called City Summer, Country Summer, which is a children's book coming out um in june of 2022 it's a collaboration with this jamaican artist ricardo edwards is it, it the book is i mean ricardo's contribution to the book is just outstanding you know and i just got to try to create words to keep up with the art but that's wow. gonna be one of the freshest things i've ever done I'm, is that again, hmm? is that something you've you've always wanted to do yeah yeah, 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 cool. yeah. I always wanted to, I always want and and I'm and I'm doing two of them. So, but the first one comes out in um 2020. What year are we in? 2020. Yeah, the first one comes out next year, 2022. 2022, um, yeah. Yeah, I forget because of last year. Um <laughs> and I have a book due at the end of this month called Good God. Um, and the thing I'm most excited about is I'm I'm doing TV, I'm writing some TV. Um, I'm doing some some TV, but but I can't. I mean, Long Division is going to be made into a, t- a t- TV show, but that's not. But I'm doing some other TV writing um, that hopefully people that I'll be able to talk about in a few weeks or so. But so I'm busy, you know. I'm busy, just wow. trying to trying to stay alive. And were you were you teaching this past year as well? Over were you t- having to teach virtually? Yeah. Well, I was on a fellowship at at, at through Harvard. So I didn't teach my students, but I did a, I did a ton of teaching, you know, with Zoom. Yeah. I mean, everybody, you know, I was doing a lot of middle school teaching, elementary school teaching, tons of college people brought me in to teach. Um, so I spent more time on Zoom than I would have were I not teaching, you know what I mean? Right. Even though I wasn't formally teaching at, at University of Mississippi this year, but I started back teaching in a few weeks. And are you guys going to be in person? Is it, is it virtual? Do you know? I mean, you know, it's University of Mississippi, so I think they're going to try to have us in those classrooms. But they got they they got they got the wrong one. If they think I'm going to be up in those classrooms, if they don't have a mask mandate or anything like that, you know, I'm I'm just going to go right back to virtual until I realize that it's safe enough. You know, I hate to yeah. do that, but sometimes you just got to protect yourself if other people won't. Yeah. of course yeah um so what else is coming up for you in the next year what are you looking at uh personally like are you excited about other authors or their films or you know what oh, what yeah. keeps you excited and 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 going and thinking creatively i mean i think this is the richest artistic time of my life in terms of literary art um you know so i, I have some friends you know 
I'm looking for, I don't know if you watch Atlanta, Donald Glover show. I'm looking forward to the new series, season of Atlanta. That's going to be incredible. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, Jasmine Ward's new books. Um, I'm really looking forward to this guy, Jason Reynolds. He's got some new work coming out. Oh my goodness, Jackson's Mississippi has a son, David Dennis, and his father, David Dennis Sr., they both co-wrote this book. Um, I think made it, made the movement made us. Man, huh. it is going to change. It's going to shift a lot. It's going to shift oh. a lot in terms of intergenerational, intergenerational work. So David is David Sr.'s son. Oh, and great. David Sr. grew up in the movement, you know, working with Hollis Watkins and working with um, uh, uh, the Algebra Project. Uh, what's the dude who just passed? Uh, he just passed last week. Can't believe my, my mind is blanking. Um, but yeah, so 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 there's a lot of interesting, a lot of interesting like Bob so, Moses, Bob Moses, Walter, yeah, Bob Moses and the Algebra Project. But Bob Moses, my mama would be so mad at me. <laughs> she introduced me to Bob when I was a little boy. Wow, but Bob Moses, man, yeah. Bob Moses, I think, is like the great one of the greatest activists. And lovers, I think activists are artists, act, you know, because they they're artful organizers of people. Absolutely. Um, he passed last week, but David Dennis is a great was a great friend and organized with Bob and his son David is my friend. And David wrote this book called Movement Made Us. Uh, yeah, and other than that, I'm just I don't know trying to trying to figure find out some new some some new things to get into. Um, it's hard with COVID. <laughs> I want yeah. to travel. I want to go to some oceans and stuff, but I'm a scared. Yeah. I'm one of those scared people. I don't really don't believe in doing all that. It is scary. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners. So if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org.